0: Hi, I'm Megan Francis,
1: and I'm Dave Kroc, and this is the LifeWork podcast.
0: In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Laura Vanderkam has created a movement out of the somewhat contrarian idea that you, yes, you, have more time than you think, and definitely more time than our busyness worshiping culture would tell you. In her books, including the most recent title, I Know How She Does It How Successful Women Build Lives at Work, Laura takes a practical, often surprising approach to combining work, family, and the other things that make life worthwhile. In episode 2.4 of Life Work, Laura shares with us her tips and strategies for making the most of the 168 hours you have every week. That includes 60 hours in each weekend, by the way, to create your own version of success at work and beyond. Here's Laura. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, It's always great to talk to you. So, Laura, I'm just going to jump right in with what you, you know, primarily write about Um, time, money, productivity, success habits. Uh, Were these topics that have always interested you or how did you end up with this focus?
2: Um, Yes, I think these are topics that have always interested me, though I didn't know they interested me quite as much as they have wound up doing. Um, As I look back on my life, I was often into... long-term goals and big projects and things like that. Um, But it really came more to a head after I became a parent for the first time and realized that I was going to be accountable for my hours in a way that I had not necessarily been before. Um, And a lot of the Things that is written about this transition are are pretty negative, and I read a lot of that, and it was very depressing. Um, But then I'm a journalist, and so I started looking into it a bit more, and I find that the subject of how people, and particularly parents, spend their time is a wee bit more complex um, than is often written about in the popular literature.
0: Well, I think that's probably true with anything about popular literature, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. um, it's always a little more complex. And one of the things that I think drew me to you, and we've kind of followed each other, I don't know, on and off for four or five, six years now, I think and we've known each other online, is that you're a little bit of a contrarian, but in, in sort of, um, but in, in a research-based way. And so, you know, there is, like you just said, there is this narrative about working parenthood that makes it sound rushed, and sleepless, and joyless, and then you turned that on its head. Um, Why do you think we're so culturally attached to that idea that working moms are miserable and stressed? And did it surprise you to find out that's not necessarily true? It's
2: not necessarily true. I I am a bit of a contrarian. I will admit it. I'm always (laughs) drawn to topics where I think there's a pretty clear case that the data does not support the popular narrative. Um, And that is definitely the case here. Um, You know, there's... People, you hear all the time that uh, oh, you know, working moms are going to be perpetually sleep deprived, so maybe you'll manage to build a career and have a family, but you'll never sleep. Well, it turns out that we have some data on this. When you force people to keep track of their time, the average mom with a full-time job um, sleeps more than eight hours a day. Um, who knew, right? right. <laughs> like you wow. wouldn't. You wouldn't <laughs> get that from um, things like I was just rereading the second shift, Arlie Hochschild's uh, famous book from 1989. This, the line was, "These women talked about sleep the way a hungry person talks about food."
0: Yeah, it's like, well,
2: that's the image, and yet the image is wrong. We all have bad nights here or there. I had a bad night last night. I have a almost one year old baby. Um, mm. And he's sort of trashing my sleep currently. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the long haul, and uh, looking at all of life, we have to take bad nights in context. Um, and I think that we often don't do that.
0: Well, there's a big difference between someone with a toddler and in and- someone with a you know five or six or seven year old as well. I mean, it depends where you are. Like you said, that's just one little snippet, one little snapshot. Um, well, I think life. also
2: what's going on, I mean, just to get back to your question, because I realized I was turning that into my own little rant about sleep, um, <laughs> is is that we tell ourselves stories about our lives. and And you can come up with just about any story you want, because stories are constructed based on a few points of evidence, and then sort of looking around and seeing what other people are saying too, so if the average person who happens to be a working parent wants to come up with a story that life is miserable, um, you can certainly find a couple stressful moments um, in, in any given day and in any given week. Um, we all have those moments, but you could come up with a story that looked at other moments too, so it 's really a question of well what fits in with what other people are saying, and if everyone's saying oh we're Overworked and sleep deprived and harried. Well, you're going to remember the time that you were, you know, late at work. Um, you're not going to remember the other day when you weren't. Um, it just isn't going to fit in with the narrative. And and so I think that's what's going on, especially when we still are not entirely comfortable with the idea of mothers working. Um, the vast majority of mothers do work for pay, but society still hasn't quite got its head around that as an idea that it, that's OK. Um, it's still viewed as slightly transgressive. Um, and so we like to reinforce things like guilt and things that go wrong and the idea that life is crazy and you'll be punished somehow um, for attempting to do both at the same
0: time. Okay, that- makes a lot of sense to me as a working mom, but I know a lot of people who are listening um, aren't parents. so I want to veer off a little bit and talk about sort of this 168 hour concept. Um, Why I know one of the things that you talked a lot about in your book, 168 hours, you have more time than you think. That's the subtitle, right? It is. Yes. Okay. Um, Is first of all, that I, I remember someone telling me how transformative it was when they did the time log. And I'm sure you've run into that a lot, like how much it kind of forces us to face reality about the way we're spending time. Um, And that's true for parents and non-parents and anybody really who has a finite amount of time as we both do, as we all do. Um, So I'd love to hear why you think that's so transformative. So potentially like, you know, mind shattering or turning everything on its axis. And then why do you focus on 168 hours rather than a day? I think a lot of times we focus on what's happening in this one day and not really um, a week at a time.
2: Well, I think it's important to focus on a week because a week is the cycle of life as we actually live it. Um, If I was asking you, I mean, what's a typical day for you? Is it Tuesday or is it Saturday? Yeah. Um, Because they both occur just as often. (laughs) Right. uh, And they both have the same number of hours. So really, I mean, either one could be, but they probably look a little bit different for for most people. Um, So so a week is the cycle of life as we live it. And it also shows us just how much time we have. Um, And some of the numbers I like to use for people... 168 hours a week, so that's 24 times seven. If you work 40 hours a week, so that's full time, and sleep eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours a week. That leaves seventy-two hours for other things, Mm. which is quite a bit of time. A lot of people who have full-time jobs feel like there's not space for anything else. I mean, it's the the word "full," like full time. It must consume my full time. There, you know, the word "full" is in it. Uh, And yet, that's clearly not the case. Um, If you're working forty hours a week, you have way more non-work time. Almost twice as much. Almost double. Yeah. Um, If you're working, maybe you work more than that. Let's say you work fifty hours a week. That still leaves sixty-two hours for other things. And if you work 60 hours a week, that leaves 52 hours for other things. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people do not work more than 60 hours a week if you force them to keep track of it. Um, So, you know, 52 hours a week, that's more than seven hours a day over the whole of the week. Like the time is there um, for, for a personal life, for a family life, for whatever you want to invest in, even if you are working long hours. And that is the breakthrough of looking at life in terms of weeks, not days.
1: That's amazing. Laura, what are we doing? with our time what are we doing with those 72 hours that is because you, you, you know you talk to most people you bump into on the street and you say hey how's it going how you been oh i've been busy i've been yeah. so busy there's so much going on and blah 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 that's like our that's our crutch in modern day society is the word busy we're we're busy it's a it's a sign of success it's a sign of something but it really isn't is it is it
2: no it really isn't i mean anyone can be busy it's not that exciting yeah. to, <laughs> to point out that you're busy i think it's really the modern equivalent of saying fine um, yeah <laughs> you know I, I I'm fine, so I say i'm busy uh it, it's everything is moving along you know it, it's It's also a way to sort of subtly convey our own importance um that you know everyone at work needs me so much, everyone at home needs me so much uh earth can't keep spinning without my input right. uh, so so I think there's some of of that going on, but of course it's self reinforcing too then if we were always talking about how busy we are, we think we don't have time. Uh, for other things. And so we don't really think about what we want to do with our, you know, 72 non-working hours in the course of the week. And so then we wind up choosing things that are easiest um, and and lowest transaction cost to do. And for most people that winds up being things like watching television, surfing the web, um, you know, puttering around the house, those sorts of
0: things. Talk about the transaction cost for someone who's not familiar with that phrase. Well, mean?
2: it means uh, if there's transaction cost to something, it means it's harder to get started with it. Right. Um, and and so something like getting together with friends to go out for drinks um, is is wonderfully fun and amazing to do, but it involves you calling or texting your friends, making sure you've got a time and a place you're all going to meet, checking with everyone's schedule, like making sure that if you've got kids, you've got a babysitter, if you've cleared it with whoever else you know would require your presence at that time and so this this takes effort and Mm. so it's easier not to do that those are high transaction costs um and and so we tend not to do those things um whereas turning on the television has no transaction costs whatsoever you you just you know pick up the remote you turn it on and so things like that wind up consuming the lion's share of people's leisure time
0: i also want to talk about this 60 hour work week um it sounds like you're kind of saying for the most part, it, it doesn't really exist, or at least a 60 plus hour work week. And I also wonder sometimes how many people believe they work 60 hours or 50 hours or whatever, and really don't work anywhere near that. And how is that happening? <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I, you know, I, before some of your listeners are, are writing in <laughs> being like, I work more, I build more than 60 hours last week. Sure. Like, Trust me, I work. Yeah. I'm not saying it never Happens. Um, I have seen time logs that are north of 60 hours a week. I have not seen many that are north of 60 hours a week. I recently um, did a a time diary project looking at a 1,001 days in the lives of women who were earning six figures. So these are people with big jobs. Um, And only a small fraction of them logged more than 60 hours um, during their time diary week. And of those, a big chunk of them were... um, it was just this weird quirk of my sample. They were accountants that I got right smack dab in the middle of busy season. Like, oh, so, yeah. you know, if you want work life balance, don't call an accountant in March, right. you know, yeah. just yeah. like, just as an idea. <laughs> right. um, So, so, you know, it's, uh, there were very few north of 60 hour work weeks. Um, and I think what's going on is that we feel overworked. Um, we have a tendency, it's very human to believe that things we don't want to do take more time than they do. And things we do want to do take less time (laughs) than they, we think they think we think they do. So, um, you know, if we also don't look at breaks, we don't look at, um, you know, whether things are typical or not in people's mind, often a week that is typical is the one that they spent most at work. Um, mm-hmm. but atypical weeks turn out to occur surprisingly frequently. Mm-hmm. I've had people keep track of their time for me and then tell me something like, Oh, well I should probably start over. Cause it wasn't a typical week. Cause I had a dentist appointment on Thursday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, Unless you will never go to the dentist again, it's not really that atypical. What's often more typical is that something comes up that keeps you from working the perfect work week. Uh, and I think that's worth acknowledging. That's one of the things that uh, winds up meaning there's there's less um, work week hours over time. Um, but, you know, that's neither here or near. I mean, the people exaggerate their work hours. There's one study finding that people were claiming 70, 80, 90 hour work weeks were off by about 25 hours, um, which I find absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. But so what? I mean, I guess the point is, so what? The problem is that if people think they're working 90 hours a week, then they assume that they can't do anything else, that there's absolutely no time for anything else. Whereas if they knew that, in fact, they were working somewhere more around 60, well, clearly there is time for other things then. And they don't have to accept this sort of limited vision of their lives, that there is space for other things they might want to do. And that requires being a bit more um, proactive about your life. And sometimes that's, that's a bit scary. It's often easier just to say, well, I'm so overworked. There's no time for anything else.
0: And, yeah. I, and I also find that it, it kind of contributes to that cultural message that we're all like, like, like we talked about, that we're all crazy busy. We're all working crazy months of hours. If we're all exaggerating a little bit, you know, it's yeah. just an inaccurate portrait. Well, I mean, if portrait. everyone in your
2: office is talking about their 80-hour work weeks, you right. don't want to be the guy being like, well, actually, I work 55. Right. I don't know what's wrong with the rest <laughs> of
1: you. <laughs> right. For sure. So what are, what are we, in transitioning, obviously, by taking a look with a time log at where our time is going, then in a way, like you say, being proactive, we're, we're, getting, we're grabbing a hold of the hours in our weeks. And w- what have you found that some of the more successful people who really do optimize their time well, how have they used that to their advantage to then sort of open up the, the freedom to do some of those other things on the side, like write a book or start a business or things along those lines?
2: Well, I think people who are good about their time are mindful about it. Um, and, and so just as with a, a budget, a monetary budget, you may think about, well, this is the money I have and this is what I want to do with it. Um, it's the same thing with time. People would think about, well, this is the time I have. These are the things that are most important to me with doing to do with it. And it doesn't have to be a long list, um, particularly if you are working long hours. But I find that taking a little bit of time, maybe on Friday afternoon, um, it's just generally a good time for people to think about these things Uh, and and ask yourself, well, what are my top priorities for the next week uh, at work? What are my top priorities for my relationships? Uh, And what are my top priorities for myself? Maybe just thinking of two to three things in each category and then looking at the whole of the next week saying, well, where can I put those in? Uh, and when you when you look at it that way, I mean, you know, probably in the course of 168 hours, you can find time for six important things somewhere. Um, and but when you do think about that, then those things become highly likely to happen.
1: Mm. And, and how do you sort of advise people to look at? I assume there's a there's a fair amount of rearranging of one's schedule or blocking things in in chunks or things that you can do once you realize that you've got this free time and tends to occur in multiple places what's your advice for that sort of thing for the person that discovers wow i've got i've ha- i have this dream to do x and i i have 40 hours reasonably if there i work in other responsibilities that i can uh, uh, apply towards that H- what's your advice to people that that uh, want to optimize that time as well as possible
2: well i think first you want to look at where are those chunks of time occur. Um, And that's the good thing about keeping track of your time. Um, I always encourage people if they want to use their time better to figure out where it's going now. And if you do try keeping track of your time for a week, you will start to see spaces where um, you may be doing something with that time, but you wouldn't have to be doing that thing with that time. Um, So for instance, a lot of people uh, after their kids go to bed, for instance, the first thing they do is turn on the TV. Um, And that's one thing that you could do, but there might be other things. And so if you feel like you don't have time for a hobby in the rest of your life, like you want to make scrapbooks or you want to paint or whatever else, that might be a time that you could allocate to that. Um, For some people, the time is... Uh, first thing in the morning, they don't have energy at night. um, So it would be better to go to bed a little bit earlier and wake up a little bit earlier. And then they could use that time first thing in the morning for something that was important to them that required um, kind of the energy and discipline that people often have uh, at the beginning of the day. So that's time. And then of course, uh, weekends are often prime time, but it requires you to be a little bit more mindful about it. Um, Say, well, you know, rather than just let the whole weekend disappear into chores and errands, I'm going to consciously carve out time on one of the mornings to do something that is important to me. And if you uh, have a family, maybe it involves uh, arranging for parents to cover for each other for certain blocks of time on the weekend. So each of you has time to do uh, whatever is a personal priority for you. Uh, And and so when you adopt those strategies, you can start to see that the space is there. You just have to think about it ahead of time, make the arrangements and then do it when that time appears.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about uh, sort of the morning uh, portion of, of the day, uh, you wrote an awesome book called what the most successful people do before breakfast, um, which I picked up over the weekend and blew through. And and I tell you what, it's, it, it leads into a lot of the different things that I've read before, but has a different sort of approach that, uh, I got asked a few questions about this book cause I was telling some people about it do, and I, I think it's behooves us to ask the question, do you have to be a morning person to be successful? <laughs>
2: No, you don't. Um, But I would say that the world is set up to make it easier for morning people Mm -hmm. to be successful, Um, because if your boss is calling an 8 a.m. meeting, the people who look alert and have great ideas then are just going to seem more with it than than people who don't and the work that you might do at 9pm other people don't necessarily see Uh, and and so it life becomes easier for people who are morning people likewise students who are able to perform well in their morning classes uh, tend to do better they get better grades and this you know perpetuates itself then that uh morning people look more successful but it's really just that the schedule was set up uh to reward them we could all change that, but we haven't. So for, for <laughs> now, um, most companies and, and schools still tend to reward people uh, who can get up early. If you know that that is not you, then, you know, there's ways you can work with that. Obviously, many people who are more night owls become entrepreneurs precisely for that reason, that mm-hmm, then the business yeah. operates on their schedule. Uh, and, and that's something to look into.
0: And then you can find your people.
2: You find your people <laughs> you find your and, your and people. build an organization around that.
0: Yeah. I wanted to actually talk a little bit about um, being an entrepreneur and and how that relates to the amount of time that you work. Um, and I know you probably have experience with Laura where you feel like there's always something you could be doing or maybe something you should be doing. So you're, quote, you know, working, unquote, but maybe not actually producing anything or getting anything done. It's just that wheel spinning. Um, do you have, a, have you, first of all, have you kind of run across that in your research, um, of people who either have more flexible jobs or are entrepreneurs and how do you suggest people kind of get real with themselves about whether they're actually getting anything done?
2: Yeah, I come across this all the time. Um, I've had some people try to convince me I'm asking them how many hours they work and they just subtract the number of hours they sleep from, um, hundred sixty <laughs> Really? Really? I, I don't quite I don't believe think that. so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Every waking moment is right. devoted to thinking about your business. I think that a lot of people wind up in this sort of work-life gray zone, um, and one of the best things you can do is to put a limit on that zone by consciously putting fun, meaningful things into your personal life. Mm. Um, So, you know, if, if you have a tendency to just ruminate about work all the time, I mean, maybe you decide to coach a kid's basketball team. And I can tell you that you will probably make it work. You know, even the busiest person can generally decide to take one evening a week and commit to something. And that's time that you won't be thinking about uh, the, the stresses of work. It's, it's something that is meaningful, that's put into your personal life, and it absorbs that space that would otherwise just be spent in that, that work-life gray zone. Um, so don't fear commitment. I think a lot of time entrepreneurs think that they need to leave every second available um, for work, but that's often not the case. You'll probably greatly improve your, quantity, your quality of life um, by putting things into your personal life that you are excited about.
0: And being in front of the computer doesn't necessarily equal working. (laughs) No,
2: it doesn't. Um, We all reach a point of diminishing returns. And if you track your time, you can start to see this sort of thing. Like you, you know, you're going like gangbusters in the morning, maybe taking your phone calls in the early afternoon, then somewhere around, you know, four o'clock, you're like, Oh, I'm just doing one thing after another. I'm not really getting anything done. I keep, you know, clicking between social media Mm -hmm. and various websites and checking headlines again, and then email. And is there anything there? And no, and let me get distracted by this. That's your brain taking a break. Um, if you don't give it a real one it will take a fake break a fake break and that's pretty much what it
0: looks like
1: okay which which kind of goes back to the subject of willpower which obviously it, it actually operates kind of like a muscle in a way right there's a depleted resource uh that that kicks in there right
2: yeah. I mean, as you've been working all day and making decisions and holding your tongue while dealing with difficult people, that that willpower is, is used up, um, which is why it's really important to use that time first thing in the morning uh, when we have our greatest supply of willpower toward things that are important to us. Um, so, you know, email, you don't really need a whole big reserve of willpower to answer. So answering email is a good thing for mid-afternoon, whereas projects that require a lot of focus are maybe best approached in the morning when you're fresh and, and can bring that supply of self-discipline to bear on them.
0: I'd like to talk about your your ebook series that was, um, I believe, a spinoff of what the most successful people do before breakfast. You had several other books in that line, right? I did. The Weekend can, and what was the other one?
2: What They Do on the Weekend and What They Do at Work.
0: Do in the Weekend and Do at Work. So I'm really curious because I feel like sometimes uh, people who are highly successful are seen as innovators. And I'm kind of wondering if, you know, the patterns of habit or behavior that define those really successful people are the same, or if people, you know, are, are innovating those as well. Is there unpredictability or did you find that there were things that were just across the board common?
2: Well, I would say that it's hard to say that any one trait is something all successful people do. Um, and I've always been drawn to people who have sort of rituals and, um, ways that they organize their schedule in order to, um, make progress toward life goals. Uh, but probably there are people who don't do that. Um, you know, there's always somebody who is just a mess, but through sheer force of character manages to motivate people toward other (laughs) things. And so I, I, wouldn't say that there's anything, um, that, that you absolutely have to do. On the other hand, I would say that people who do develop good Uh, rituals, um, and good habits often find it easier to accomplish the goals that they, they want to. Um, so, so it's worth trying.
0: And let's talk about a few of those, like what, you know, are there certain habits or, um, behaviors that just again and again, seem like best practices. If you can only do, you know, three things, do these three things.
2: Um, so I think that using that morning time for the things that are most important to you is, is key. Um, You know if people want to exercise and they have busy lives uh that tends to be the best time to do it um and, and indeed some some research finds I think that people who do exercise in the morning are m- more likely to stick with it um so if you want to stick with it, that suggests that maybe look at the morning time for for getting it done um I think just uh, the weekend thing was, was one of more surprising, um, but I think important aspects of it. I, I really think weekends are the secret weapon of successful people. And it's because work is very intense um, and they want to bring their best selves to, to bear on on their work week issues. But that means that they have to recharge their batteries. Well, how do you do that? Well, you can't let the weekend turn into this death march of chores and children's (laughs) activities. Or you also, on the other hand, can't let it go to nothing because you can't do nothing. It's impossible to do nothing. Um, And so you'll do something, but it won't be something that will be the most restorative. So I found that people who were able to kind of make maximum sustainable progress were very mindful about what their breaks should be like what they would do on weekends in order to refresh themselves so that they could work hard during the week.
0: Uh I remember talking with you a few years ago I think about um about the weekend um what the most successful people do on the weekend and I was really surprised by the number of hours you kind of just threw out how many hours are in a weekend I think sometimes we think of it as sort of like this little thing that punctuates the week or a throwaway almost um but how many, how many hours are in the weekend?
2: Well, there are 60 hours between 6 PM Friday and 6 AM Monday.
0: So the way you put it between the beer on Friday evening, the beer on Friday (laughs) and the
2: 6 AM Monday alarm clock. And and, you know, granted you're sleeping for some of those, but if you're sleeping for 24 hours of those, that still leaves 36 hours in there. Um, which is quite a bit of time. And, and again, it's, it's important to keep these things in perspective because sometimes people are like, Oh, well, you know, I have two four-hour children's sports commitments, which, yeah, it does sound like a pretty full weekend. But on the other hand, that's only eight hours of, of the 36 hours. So that doesn't mean that there's no space for anything else. It just requires you to think about well, what would I like to do at this time? What would be rejuvenating to me? And how can I make that
0: happen? Ahead of time so that you're not trying to think of it when you're tired. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to think of it in the moment.
2: Um, I I love the idea of spontaneity. I know that for most people, it doesn't really work. Um, You need to have at least some idea of what you'd like to do. It doesn't have to be a minute-by-minute plan. I think that's a very it's a false choice that people sometimes accuse me of like, well, you, you want me to plan every minute of the weekend. I said, well, really? No, I don't. Um, but uh, you know, having a rough idea that, you know, okay, we're getting together with these friends, um, you know, downtown on, on Saturday night, but you know, we'll we'll walk around and see what restaurant looks best to us. I mean, that's fine. That's great spontaneity, but you're not going to just randomly meet these people downtown. <laughs> like if you want to spend time with them, you have to make a plan to make that happen
0: yeah, you have to put some structure around it and, you know, you can be, you can be spontaneous within the structure that you've created proactively. I exactly. Guess. I yeah. mean you
2: can, you know, say we're going to go to this uh, state park with the family on Sunday afternoon and who knows what you'll do while you're there. I mean, there could be all sorts of fun adventures you have, but having that some uh, slight structure means that good things will happen.
0: So you have built your career while raising like right alongside of raising your family, at least, you know, within this kind of time management space. I think you were 168 hours when your kids were, your oldest were really little, right? Or maybe you just had the one.
2: I did. I was, I was writing it um, while I was pregnant with my second child and it came out when he was a baby. Um, And then I've just kept going with the books and babies sort of alternating.
0: And then um, I know how she does it, which is your most recent book came out when your current toddler was A baby or a little bit? Yes. Yes. So he was born in January of this past year and the book came out in June. So I would love to hear about how, you know, going like sort of from one book to the, you know, if those were the bookends, so to speak books, and then sort of, you know, the bookend babies almost like, what have you learned? How has your life changed or how have you changed the way you look at things like time and success and how it all fits together just kind of in the process of raising this family? And this career at the same time?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the good news is with anything, the the more you do it, the better and more efficient you become at it. And yeah. I've become, um, very efficient at certain aspects of writing, um, in terms of finding sources, um, doing interviews in a way that elicits the answers that I'm looking for and, and turning those things into drafts. Um, and and so that's good. I mean it the amount of time it takes me to write a piece is less now than it used to be. Um and and so that's heartening. But I've also become more sort of strategic. Um it is true that the more children you have, the more time they consume. Um I, I think the big jump is still zero to one, but mm-hmm. I, I think that having four, you know, takes more time than one. Yeah. Um <laughs> and and so I've had to become more strategic about how I, uh, deploy my hours and and I've learned to be better about, um, making connections and networking and building skills and trying to, um, really look at the soft side of work as a legitimate way to spend work hours, to spend the sort of limited work hours, as opposed to viewing that as extras, um, Mm. that, you know, Oh, I can cut that out when I'm when i'm really you know swamped and i'm i'm doing just focus on on the writing itself i think i've learned that it's important to keep investing in those things and to let some other things slide um in order to keep your career moving forward even if you have limited hours
0: that's really interesting because i went through a very similar you know having a bunch of little kids in the house and feeling like every to make it to count it had to be billable and you know, that works for a while when you're in sort of that survival mode, I think. (laughs) Um, But it's not long term. It's not really a sustainable long term way to run a business.
2: No, I I don't think so. And I, I like to think I'm I'm doing well at it. Um, I had a friend recently say to me that she's like, oh, well, you know, I like it that you, you will actually come to stuff. Like I have people that I've just written off for the next 10 years and, and <laughs> you will actually come to stuff. And I think, well, that's what I'm trying to do. That's uh, the image I would like to create is that I am still – in it and still interested. Um, the question of like parenting itself and how you devote your hours at that, I'm still, you know, figuring out how to make sure each kid gets what he or she needs, um, as, as there are more of them. Um, and you know, particularly as have a little one who is highly demanding at the moment, but, uh, you know, it, it, it works out one way or the other. I think that you, you wind up, um, making time for each of them, Uh, It doesn't have to be a huge chunk of time, but as long as it's some time, then it winds up working.
0: And I think what you said, you know, at the very beginning of the interview, um, which may have been actually what you and I kind of connected over way back when is this idea of you write the story of your life and whatever, you know, there's a many stories to tell and, and your story about your work or your, or the time you spend or what kind of parent you are, or how much you enjoy being a parent or any of those things as really a lot of it's up to us how we tell that story and which story we choose to believe and invest in. It's true.
2: Um, you, can, you can tell your story however you would like to. And if your story is that you are a harried mess with no time for anything that matters to you, then you will wind up looking for evidence to support that. Um, if your story is that you know sometimes things are busy but i generally can make the things that are important to me happen then you will wind up looking for evidence to support that um and the more there's a confirmation bias that you see what you choose to see um and and so uh you know that's what the importance of storytelling is
0: yeah well thank you so much laura um for coming on today um again the newest book that you've got out is i know how she does it you're also sort of the book I think most people know you best for is 168 hours. You have more time than you think. And I believe you on your website have a downloadable time log. Is that correct? Stella? I
2: do. Um, yeah. if you, you know, just, uh, sign up for my newsletter on my website, I'll send it to you and, uh, you can track your, your time on that. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty basic. It's just Excel. So if you really don't want to sign up for my newsletter, <laughs> you can just make your own. Um, it, it, you put the hours on the left side and the days of the week on the top and, and uh, use that. But you can, you, know, you can use a time tracking app or whatever you want, but just try it. Uh, you, you'll get so much out of it. It's really
0: enlightening. Warning, you may be a little surprised by the results. You may be a bit challenged. but it's you. good to know. Yes, exactly. Well, thanks a lot, Laura. Again, it's been great. Uh, enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast.
1: Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday.
0: And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.